Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Boy, if ever there were a case of the Mondays, it is definitely today in Buckeye Nation. Good Monday, as much as it can be a good Monday to you. Welcome back to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. We're about ready to do the postmortem. I know it still stings. You're still upset. You're disappointed. Some of you are outraged. You're furious. Whatever emotion you're feeling right now, I'm going to help you to try to get through it. We're going to put some perspective, contextualize what happened on Saturday. Ohio State's loss to Clemson. It doesn't feel real to some of you. It's a game that Ohio State had in its grasp. Probably should have won. We know how that goes sometimes, but we're going to look back at that game on Saturday. We're going to try to get through it together. I'm going to try to give you some free therapy to get over what happened. We'll make sense of it. I want to do the the big picture thing, and we'll do the analysis and the details and, and all the minutiae. So that's coming up here in just a few minutes here on Locked on Buckeyes. We're brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. Locked on Buckeyes, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Check us on all of the podcasting platforms of your choice. Find and follow us on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Make sure you give me a follow at KYLAM8. If you haven't done so, follow the show at Locked on Buckeye Singular. Okay, listen, I think I know what everybody is expecting from me today. You're thinking Kyle is going to come out guns blazing, ready to fight the world, take on all of the officials, all of the bad calls, all of the questionable officiating made on Saturday in the Fiesta Bowl. But I'm, I'm going to exercise a little restraint. We are going to discuss the officiating because... Whether people like it or not, it's part of the discussion. It's, it's part of the game. It did happen, okay? Those calls that were made on the field and in some cases reversed up in the replay booth, they are part of the story, okay? What happened on Saturday includes those calls, non-calls, and overturned calls. That's part of history. You can't run from it. You can't escape it. For those people that say, well, you know, Ohio State had to play on, make plays, they didn't do it, they didn't win the game. That's fair. That's part of it, too. Everything that happened is part of the result. And we're going to discuss it all. You can't run from it and ignore part of it. You can't just say it, act like it didn't happen. Just because you think that they should have won the game without it, it doesn't mean that it wasn't a factor. So we're going to discuss it all. I'm just going to set aside the officiating aspect. We'll get into that. We'll get into details of it, what I think was right, what I think was wrong. And we'll discuss the rules behind it and the intent of the rules behind it. Because the intent, to me, the the spirit of the rule is as important as the letter of the rule. But we'll we'll push that to the second segment because I don't want to lead with that. I don't want to make it the biggest part of this game. But I I will say this. I've been saying I want to accentuate the positive, okay? I'm not looking for people to take moral victories out of this loss to Clemson. 
it stings. Uh, I'm not telling you that you should be okay with it, that you should be happy. But I do think there's a sense of don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. When you look at this Ohio State season, sure, there's going to be a disappointment factor to how it ended and when it ended. Everybody had a real optimistic feeling that this was going to go the distance. At very least, people thought this was going to be the storyline finish Ohio State and Joe Burrow squaring off in New Orleans for the national title. I kind of thought that. I mean, I, I definitely thought that. I can't run from that. You you heard my prediction on Friday. I said 38-24 Ohio State. Many of the things I said leading up to this game proved to be true about Ohio State. If you look at the game, the way it played out, I've been saying Ohio State is the better team. And they were. In this game, they absolutely were. I don't want to hear people say, well, Clemson was the better team they deserved to win. No, the better team doesn't always deserve to win. Or the better team does, certainly doesn't always win. You could make a case a lot of teams the better. A lot of times the, the better team does deserve to win, but they don't always. But Ohio State led for 50 minutes in this game. They controlled the game. They had more total yards. They were controlling the line of scrimmage. They had more first downs. They had a greater time of possession. This was Ohio State's game to lose. And unfortunately for Ohio State, they did lose the game. But when you look at all of the events that had to occur for Ohio State to lose, I think it shows you that the Buckeyes were the better team. When you consider Ohio State came up empty on three red zone possessions. And some of that is Clemson's defense. Don't get me wrong. They deserve credit for coming up and making the stops when they needed to. But Ohio State came up empty on three red zone possessions in the first half, including a dropped screen pass from from J.K. Dobbins and a diving attempt that was overturned in the end zone for what would have been a second touchdown in the first half. Then you look at The targeting call, which we'll discuss more, as I said, in the second segment of this show. The targeting call that not only changed what would have been a 4th and 15 to a first down, Sean Wade, one of Ohio State's best defensive players, being ejected and leading to Clemson's first touchdown. And then you get the J.K. Dobbins injury. Spraining an ankle after Ohio State had been establishing the run up front and really dominating Clemson at the line of scrimmage. Dobbins gets hurt, was never the same after that, combined with a really crappy field, by the way. The college football playoff has got to demand a better surface than what we saw on Saturday. And that that goes for, that's not an Ohio State thing. Clemson and Ohio State both had to play on that field. But that was a bad surface. So Dobbins' injury combined with the field surface Ohio State was just not able to run the rest of the game with any regularity or consistency or effectiveness. But everything I said about Ohio State being a better team up front, that was true. Ohio State shut down Travis Etienne with the exception of one screen screen pass. Clemson was not able to shut down Dobbins before he got that ankle injury. So that part of it was true. But you have the targeting, the Dobbins injury. You have the pump block attempt that winded up a roughing the kicker in the second half. You have the overturned 
uh, scoop and score for Ohio State, which again, we'll talk about that in the second segment. Everything that happened against Ohio State, they still had a really good chance to play or to win this game. Even the very final play from scrimmage for Ohio State, the interception in the end zone, which wasn't Justin Fields' fault. That was actually a misread by Chris Olave thinking that Fields was scrambling. So he was in scramble drill, was trying to come back to his quarterback thinking he had gone left. If he doesn't cut off the route, it's probably a touchdown in the end zone. Ohio State probably wins. So everything that happened, the Buckeyes still had a really good chance of winning this game at the end. So Ohio State was the better team. All of the hand-wringing for three weeks that, well, Ohio State has to play the perfect game to beat Clemson. They didn't. They actually played pretty close to a perfect game with the exception of the red zone opportunities in the first half. But they did not play a perfect game as a whole and still almost won because they were a better team. I don't ask you to take a moral victory from this. But look at the big picture. Sometimes good teams just lose to good teams. I think we try so much to form narratives about losses. Sometimes it's just as simple as one team scores more points than the other team. There's always going to be somebody that wins. There's always going to be somebody that loses. If you demand perfection and try to place blame just because somebody made a few mistakes, then you're never going to be happy because there's never a perfect game played. You're always going to make a few mistakes throughout the course of a game. We can't demand perfection and say, if you aren't perfect, you deserve to lose. Because no team, win or lose, is going to play perfectly. That's just not a real fair expectation. But this is not like 2016. Ohio State was a great team all year long. They ran into a great program that unfortunately had just enough playmakers to overcome a great game by Ohio State. Yes, some of it was self-inflicted mistakes. Some of it was Clemson making big plays by big-time players. And the officials, as I said, you can't ignore it. You can't run from it. It's part of the discussion. But I think this is one of those games where I don't think it's failure by Ohio State. I don't think it's the cynical, well, this game is rigged. We can get into that. I'm not, I'm not discounting the possibility of, of rigging games or conspiracies or whatever. It's, I don't believe it myself, but I'm not so stupid and naive to think that it can't happen. I don't think it's woe is us. If Ohio State can't win this year, they're never going to win ever again. I just don't, to me, I I think that they're going to have other opportunities. I think Ryan Day has proven this program is where it wants to be, where it needs to be. So I think there just comes a time, and this is one of those situations, where, hey, the game didn't go your way, but there's no reason to be upset by it. Disappointed, sure. It's, it's a disappointing loss. It stings. But I think you just tip your cap. And you can be simultaneously upset with the officiating and how those calls were made and also tip your cap to a Clemson team that you may not like, you may not even respect, but you have to respect that they are a good team. 
We said it all along. Look, Clemson didn't play anybody, but that wasn't their fault. They were a good team that probably looked better than they were just because of the competition. But at the end of the day, they do still have talented players. And those talented players got mostly shut down, but they made just enough plays to beat Ohio State. They probably don't make those plays if the calls go a little differently. We will never know. But we have to operate on what we saw and what actually happened. Ohio State got beat in a close game, a really good game. It was an entertaining college football game. They got beat by a really good team. I don't buy the whole 29 games. Like I said before, the previous seasons did not matter as far as Ohio State playing this game. But the overall winning streak by Clemson was emblematic of the success and the talent and the pedigree of this program right now. So Ohio State, look, they had a great season, a historically good regular season. You can't take that away. Don't let this loss define Ohio State 2019. Don't let don't do that. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it's happened, because it happened. I'm not telling you to take a moral victory away, but this game does show that everything you saw in the previous 13 games was legit. Ryan Day coached circles around Brett Venables in this game. The Ohio State offensive staff and defensive staff coached and prepared their team to a great performance. It wasn't perfect, and a couple of those critical mistakes certainly led to a meltdown. I don't even want to call it a meltdown. I don't think it was that. But it led to allowing Clemson back in the game. And that's why we're gonna we're we're about ready to get into the officiating because I think it's worth talking about. But it's also not just the officiating. But at the same time, hey, it wasn't a number of self-inflicted, self-inflicted, self-destructive penalties or mistakes, but it was just enough that a good team like Clemson was able to capitalize. It is not a failure in this case. In my opinion, it's just one of those games there had to be a loser. It just happened to be Ohio State. Coming up, the officiating, the replays, What's up with that? We'll get into that. It's time we address the elephant in the room. You're not going to get me to go to the level of saying, I think the officiating was corrupt or that I think there was any anti-Ohio State effort or agenda. I don't think it was a conspiracy. I really honestly think the officiating on the field was pretty good. You got to remember the officials on the field called most of these uh, plays correctly, at least in my opinion. The replay official, however, did the damage overturning many of them. Now, I'm not naive. I'm not stupid. Anytime there's a lot of money involved, there's always a chance for corruption. That's true in any walk of life. That doesn't mean that there is a conspiracy here or an agenda. Sure, you are pretty safe in saying most of the time, follow the money and you'll find out the truth. In this particular case, I I can't go to that point with some of you saying that this is definitely rigged. I, I can't join you there. 
but I'm not going to criticize you for it. All I will say is this. We have to get the facts straight if we're going to make allegations. This is not an anti-NCAA thing, meaning the NCAA is not responsible for whatever has happening is happening if there is anything going on, any shenanigans, or if there's a seedy underbelly to college football, it has nothing to do with the NCAA. Remember, the college football playoff does not fall under the umbrella of the NCAA. College football has been insulated from the NCAA, which in itself is really just a member organization. The NCAA is actually just run by the school presidents, so it's not like the NCAA is this third-party organization that wields all, uh, all this power over the schools because the NCAA is just the schools running the organization in the first place. But even to the extent that the NCAA has a say-so, it has not ruled over college football directly as far as postseason is concerned since the late 70s, early 80s. Remember, this all goes back to the College Football Association being formed in the 70s, wanting to have more control over the TV rights from the rest of the member body, okay? This culminated with the Supreme Court case with Georgia and Oklahoma, who wanted to have their own TV rights above and beyond the national television package controlled by the NCAA. And that Supreme Court case decided back in the 80s, eventually gave the rights to all television partners to negotiate directly with the schools. Ever since that time, the College Football Association has always functioned separately from the rest of the NCAA. They eventually went on to create the Bowl Alliance in the 90s when the Big Ten and Pac-12, or Big Ten and Pac-10 back then, did not join in on the Bowl Alliance. And then they formed the BCS, and now they transformed into the college football playoff. Basically, now college football is run by the remnants of the College Football Association, which governs the college football playoff. The, league, the leagues themselves and the league commissioners run the college football playoff. So the NCAA has no say over this. This is not an NCAA issue. So if there is any shenanigans going on, it has to do with the football playoff and the leagues themselves. They run things. They run the show. This is their baby. So if there is some sort of ACC, SEC rig thing going on, and again, I'm not there with you. If you want to go down that path, I'm not telling you not to think that way. There certainly could be a case made for it. I don't think so but you never know. I know Gene Smith was certainly fired up Saturday night after this game. He didn't allege any conspiracy, but he was not happy with the calls on the field. But if there's anything going on, don't blame the NCAA. That has nothing to do with it. What I will say is this. There needs to be more accountability, more transparency, not just with the officiating, as I said, I think the officiating on the field was fine. They got most of the calls right. Sure, every crew is going to miss a few calls. That's part of life. Nobody's going to be perfect. You're always going to call a few calls wrong. 
I don't like if you miss a call, that's one thing. I don't like getting a call wrong because if you saw it, then you better be sure you saw it if you're going to flag it. But that's a whole nother issue. But I thought the crew that officiated this Ohio State Clemson game, I thought they did a pretty good job. Not perfect. Nobody is. The problem is you go through the series of calls. Let's let's start at the top. The catch by J.K. Dobbins in the end zone I thought was a good call. It was actually the wrong call on the field. Justin Fields led him just a little bit too much. J.K. Dobbins running towards the goal line, stretched out, dove for the ball, secured it in his hands, certainly, but because he had to leave his feet to get the, the ball itself, he was not a runner. He was a receiver. And so therefore, even if he maintain, if he grabs possession before the goal line, because he left his feet and did not establish himself as a runner by rule, he has to maintain possession to the ground, which he did not do. So I thought that overturn, that particular call, I thought that was correct by the replay booth. That was, I have no problem with that. I hate the rule, by the way. I hate that you have to establish yourself as a runner for the goal line to come into play and breaking the plane. I don't like that consistency there, but that is the rule, whether you like it or not. Now, the targeting. I have a major problem with this. For targeting to be called or to be upheld by the replay booth, it has to be confirmed. Two elements have to be confirmed. Either the element of targeting, launching, uh, leading with the crown of your helmet, um, there, there are four different elements that can be called there, okay? In this particular case, they did it based on leading with the crown of your helmet, but they also there has to be forcible contact, and there has to be some level of intent here. Sean Wade, full speed, is 6'1", blitzing a quarterback that is 6'6". For him to lower the body and lower his head at 6'1", going into a 6'6 guy, just common sense tells you He's aiming for the torso. For there to be helmet-to-helmet contact in the situation, the runner or defenseless player, actually, if you want to be technical, Trevor Lawrence, has to be lowering his own head for there to be helmet-to-helmet contact. If you look at the replay, Trevor Lawrence ducks, leads with his shoulder, and lowers his his own head, and that creates the helmet-to-helmet contact. If Trevor Lawrence does not duck as Wade is coming in on him, there is no helmet-to-helmet contact, and therefore there is no targeting. So although the rule does not specify there necessarily needs to be a duck by Trevor Lawrence, the fact that it happened tells you it should not have been forcible contact and it was not an element of the intent. And so therefore, Sean Wade, A, should not have even been uh, charged with targeting. But even if you do charge him, because benefit is supposed to be in his, in his favor, he should not have been ejected from the game. And on that particular play, Chase Young had his face mask grabbed and a helmet almost ripped off, by the way. But that's another discussion for another day. But that targeting was big because it would have been fourth down. Clemson would not have scored a touchdown. Not only did they get the automatic first down, they get a pass interference the next play. They score a touchdown on that drive to make it 16-7. to But Sean Wade, one of the best defensive players for Ohio State, gets ejected. That was a momentum-turning play 
on a call that by rule, you could argue it's targeting, but also by rule, it has to, they have to confirm every element of targeting beyond a reasonable doubt. And they didn't do that. They did not do that. That play was not absolutely no doubt. It should not have been called targeting by the booth by rule. It just shouldn't. You could argue it was targeting, but it was not so clear that it should have been called. So you had that. Then in the second half, you have, I thought the call was okay. I don't agree with it, but the, the attempted block punt where Cam Brown runs into Spires, the Clemson punter, I thought it should have been running into the kicker rather than roughing. I don't think it was an egregious call, but I don't agree with it from the standpoint of this. First, it was bad luck by Cam Brown. He's aiming for a point in front of the drop point by the punter. He kind of gets pushed into the punter by his own player. That's not the punter's problem, and that's not an element of the rule. But that, combined with the punter lunging forward just a little bit, creates a little bit of contact, but the punter's plant foot was not impacted. He was not pushed to the ground. They both just kind of collided in midair and then both fell harmlessly to the ground. It was not a dangerous play. It should not have been a 15-yard penalty, I, I don't believe. So we'll chalk that one up to a probably a bad call, but not an egregious call, but it did change momentum. Instead of being five-yard penalty where they still punt and Ohio State gets the ball back with a lead, Clemson goes down and scores and takes the lead. So that was a momentum-changing play. And then, of course, there's the scoop and score. This is where people understandably are upset and have to look at this with a skeptical eye. The guy literally catches the ball. It's shown by replay. And, and this was called right on the field, by the way. The, the officials got this right. They let the play go. They called it a touchdown. That's the right call. They were doing the right thing to allow this play to continue. He catches the ball, takes three, not one, not two, but three different steps forward. Then begins to turn with the ball in both hands firmly. And then on the fourth step, as he's turning, that's when he loses the ball. I would have argued watching that replay if I knew nothing of the game. If I had just seen that replay and it was even called incomplete on the field, I would have said that was clear and convincing evidence that the call should be overturned and call it a catch and a fumble. That's how sure I am of watching that replay. And I'm not just looking at it from my point of view saying that, but every rules expert or former official out there, or former coach or player that I've seen, even many, many people with blue check marks out there on Twitter, former players, coaches, what have you, current players, current coaches, I have not seen a single person say yet that that was not a catch and fumble. Only Bill Lamagne, the rules expert on ESPN, and apparently the replay official that overturned it, thought that that was an incomplete pass. Even Lamagne, by the way, on the targeting call, this is why I understand people are cynical. Lamagne in the first half, when the targeting call was made, specifically said after watching it, that, yeah, you could call this a targeting, you could make the case for it, I would not call it. That's what Bill Lamagne says. He said, I myself would not call this a targeting. But then in the second half, 
when they brought the targeting call back up again and talking about the controversy behind it, Lamagne is, well, that was a definite target targeting, whether people like it or not, that it is what it is. It should have been called. How did Lamagne get from in the first half? I would not call this to scolding people in the second half. Well, this was, this is the way the rule is. This should have been called. He changed his, his approach on this call. And I don't understand why. I, I know some of you will say, well, I, I get it. I know why. I'm not there, but it certainly adds to the skepticism. Now, Lamagne did from the very start say he did not think this was a catch and a fumble. I don't agree with him. He's the only person in the world that was saying that. But then the replay official ter- overturned it. This is a problem for college football, regardless of the result of Ohio State and Clemson. You have no accountability or transparency with replay officials. The standard is supposed to be clear and convincing, no doubt, to overturn it. And that standard has been slowly eroding away. We don't see that standard enforced anymore. Replay officials have no accountability. They overturn calls. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. We don't know if anybody is looking over their shoulder to make sure that they're getting the calls right. At least the officials on the field have some level of notoriety. We somewhat know their names. If a bad call is made, sometimes they're held accountable with suspensions. There is a level of transparency somewhat. We don't get this level of transparency with replay officials. And it, it is very upsetting. Like, I don't understand what college football playoff does or is doing to actually make sure that replay isn't, I don't want to say rigged. Because if it's rigged, it wouldn't matter what they're doing. They wouldn't have the accountability anyway. But how do we as the public have confidence to know that there's no funny business going on. We need transparency and accountability. If that means bringing in three replay experts and having each call need to be unanimous in order over to overturn it, that would at least add some extra layer of accountability, transparency, and confidence that the right call was being made. But as of now, a replay official, whether he's just rogue or just bad at his job, can make a mistake, and we have no accountability for him. I don't know if this was a crooked mistake by the replay official with targeting and the catch, non-catch, or if it was just, I don't know what, I do not know what the motivation of the replay official was, but These calls were called wrong. There's no transparency and there is no accountability for these calls being wrong. That has to change. Again, I'm not, I'm not with some of you saying this is a conspiracy. This is rigged. I'm just not there. Not going to totally dismiss it out of hand because I just don't know. And I know better. I know how the world works. I'm not there with you, but the perception is really bad right now. And it's got to be fixed. Coming up, Ohio State basketball did not make the weekend any better. My brief recap of the loss to West Virginia coming up next. Just a quick word here on Ohio State basketball before we wrap up. The Buckeyes going down hard in Cleveland to West Virginia on Sunday. 
I know a win over West Virginia in basketball was not going to make any of you feel any better about what happened Saturday night, but a loss certainly makes it worse. Ohio State, let's just be honest, played a bad game. Some of it was West Virginia's defensive pressure. I mentioned having really good rim protection, pretty good defense. They did a good job to make Ohio State feel uncomfortable in their offensive sets. Uh, Many times, the full court, three-quarter court, half-court pressure by West Virginia really stopped and made it tough for Ohio State to get into their full court set, or their their half-court set, I should say. They were never comfortable running the offense. There were many times they didn't actually start running an offense until there were 8, 10, 12 seconds left on the shot clock. That's how much some of the pressure bothered Ohio State. That being said, there were so many unforced errors. The shooting was not very good for Ohio State. They didn't run offense very well, but the biggest thing was just turnovers. They were never comfortable with the ball. Some of them were unforced. That was the biggest problem is that the pressure itself didn't cause a lot of the turnovers directly. Ohio State just never felt comfortable running their offense. It was not a good showing for Ohio State. I give them a pass from the standpoint they did, did play pretty well defensively for most of the game. I didn't think the defense was an issue. The effort wasn't bad. But they have to start taking care of the basketball. That's probably their biggest weakness right now as we're almost into January. Things don't get any better. Kyle Young has an emergency appendectomy or an appendectomy coming up. Not an emergency, but an appendectomy. Uh, He's probably going to miss the Friday game against Wisconsin. I'm not a doctor, but I would imagine he will be out for that one. Not a long-term issue, but it's just a, a lingering thing that you you ideally don't want to see. West, Wisconsin is coming off their next opponent on Friday. Wisconsin coming off a big win against Tennessee. Really much-needed win for that Wisconsin program that's been struggling most of the year. Ohio State being without Kyle Young is a big deal in that game. Should still be able to win it, but you never know. So Ohio State not playing a good game against West Virginia This is a really good basketball team. We're seeing in college basketball there simply isn't a great team. That is absolutely true this year. Ohio State is still, in my opinion, one of the top 10 teams in the country for sure. But the turnovers have to get better. That's something that they they really need to cut down on as the season progresses. We'll talk more about Ohio State basketball coming up in the next few days. We'll obviously preview the Ohio State-Wisconsin game. Lock on Buckeyes podcast, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. We will continue to dissect and... Uh, kind of unwind a little bit from the Ohio State football season. We'll talk about that in the coming days, as well as previewing the basketball games ahead. It is now basketball season in Columbus, Ohio. We will look at both equally and continue to progress through the offseason. We'll see what is in store for the Ohio State football roster as far as NFL choices are concerned coming up. Listen to, find, follow, and listen to the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Make sure you tell a friend or family member. We're on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say play Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Follow the show at Locked on Buckeye. Hope you have a great day. We'll be back on Tuesday with more Locked on Buckeyes. Thanks for listening.